0: Matilda by Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley. Chapter eleven. It is a strange circumstance, but it often occurs that blessings, by their use, turn to curses, and that I, who in solitude had desired sympathy as the only relief I could enjoy, should now find it an additional torture to me. During my father's lifetime, I had always been of an affectionate and forbearing disposition, but since those days of joy, alas, I was much changed. I had become arrogant, peevish, and, above all, suspicious. Although the real interest of my narration is now ended, and I ought quickly to wind up its melancholy catastrophe, yet will I relate one instance of my sad suspicion and despair, and how Woodville, with the goodness, and almost the power of an angel softened my rugged feelings and led me back to gentleness. He had promised to spend some hours with me one afternoon, but a violent and continual rain prevented him. I was alone the whole evening. I had passed two whole years alone, unrepining, but now I was miserable. He could not really care for me, I thought, for if he did the storm would rather have made him come, even if I had not expected him, than, as it did, prevent a promised visit. He would well know that this drear sky and gloomy rain would load my spirit almost to madness. If the weather had been fine I should not have regretted his absence, as heavily as I necessarily must, shut up in this miserable cottage, with no companions but my own wretched thoughts if he were truly my friend he would have calculated all this and let me now calculate this boasted friendship and discover its real worth he got over his grief for Eleanor, and the country became dull to him so he was glad to find even me for amusement and when he does not know what else to do he passes his lazy hours here and calls this friendship it is true that his presence is a consolation to me and that his words are sweet and when he will, he can pour forth thoughts that will win me from despair. His words are sweet, and so, truly, is the honey of the bee, but the bee has a sting, and unkindness is a worse smart than that received from an insect's venom. I will put him to the proof. He says all hope is dead to him, and I know that it is dead to me, so we are both equally fitted for death. Let me try if he will die with me, and as I fear to die alone, if he will accompany me to cheer me, and thus he can show himself, my friend, in the only manner my misery will permit. It was madness, I believe, but I so worked myself up to this idea that I could think of nothing else. If he dies with me it is well, and there will be an end of two miserable beings, and if he will not, then will I scoff at his friendship and drink the poison before him to shame his cowardice. I planned the whole scene with an earnest heart, and frantically set my soul on this project. I procured laudanum, and placing it in two glasses on the table, filled my room with flowers, and decorated the last scene of my tragedy with the nicest care. As the hour for his coming approached, my heart softened, and I wept. Not that I gave up my plan, But even when resolved, the mind must undergo several revolutions of feeling before it can drink its death. Now all was ready, and Woodville came. I received him at the door of my cottage, and leading him solemnly into the room, I said, My friend, I wish to die. I am quite weary of enduring the misery which hourly I do endure, and I will throw it off, What slave will not, if he may, escape from his chains? Look, I weep. For more than two years I have never enjoyed one moment free from anguish. I have often desired to die, but I am a very coward. It is hard for one so young, who was once so happy as I was, voluntarily to divest themselves of all sensation, and to go alone to the dreary grave. I dare not. I must die, yet my fear chills me. I pause and shudder, and then for months I endure my excess of wretchedness. But now the time is come when I may quit life, I have a friend who will not refuse to accompany me in this dark journey. Such is my request. Earnestly do I entreat and implore you to die with me. Then we shall find Eleanor and what I have lost. Look, I am prepared there is the death draught let us drink it together unwillingly and joyfully quit this hated round of daily life you turn from me yet before you deny me reflect woodville how sweet it were to cast off the load of tears and misery under which we now labour and surely we shall find light after we have passed the dark valley that drink will plunge us in a sweet slumber And when we awaken, what joy will be ours to find all our sorrows and fears past! A little patience, and all will be over. Ay, a very little patience, for look, there is the key of our prison. We hold it in our own hands. And are we more debased than slaves to cast it away, and give ourselves up to voluntary bondage? Even now, if we had courage, we might be free. Behold, my cheek is flushed with pleasure at the imagination of death. All that we love are dead. Come, give me your hand. One look of joyous sympathy, and we will go together and seek them. A lulling journey, where our arrival will bring bliss, and our waking be that of angels. Do you delay? Are you a coward, Woodville? Oh, fie! cast off this blank look of human melancholy oh that i had words to express the luxury of death that i might win you i tell you we are no longer miserable mortals we are about to become gods spirits as free and happy as gods what fool on a bleak shore seeing a flowery isle on the other side with his lost love beckoning to him from it would pause because the wave is dark and turbid What if some little pain the passage have, That makes frail flesh to fear the bitter wave, Is not short pain well-born that brings long ease, And lays the soul to sleep in quiet grave? Do you mark my words? I have learned the language of despair, I have it all by heart, for I am despair, And a strange being am I, joyous, triumphant despair but those words are false, for the wave may be dark, but it is not bitter. We lie down and close our eyes with a gentle good-night, and when we wake we are free. Come then, no more delay, thou tardy one, behold the pleasant potion. Look, I am a spirit of good, and not a human maid that invites thee, and with winning accents, oh that they would win thee, says, Come and drink. As I spoke, I fixed my eyes upon his countenance, and his exquisite beauty, the heavenly compassion that beamed from his eyes. His gentle, yet earnest look of deprecation and wonder, even before he spoke, wrought a change in my high-strained feelings, taking from me all the sternness of despair, and filling me only with the softest grief. I saw his eyes humid also, as he took both my hands in his, and sitting down near me, he said, "'This is a sad deed to which you would lead me, dearest friend, and your woe must indeed be deep that could fill you with these unhappy thoughts. You long for death, and yet you fear it, and wish me to be your companion. But I have less courage than you, and even thus accompanied I dare not die.' Listen to me, and then reflect if you ought to win me to your project, even if, with the overbearing eloquence of despair, you could make black death so inviting that the fair heaven should appear darkness. Listen, I entreat you to the words of one who has himself nurtured desperate thoughts, and longed with impatient desire for death, but who has, at length, trampled the phantom underfoot and crushed his sting come as you have played despair with me i will play the part of una with you and bring you hurtless from his dark cavern listen to me and let yourself be softened by words in which no selfish passion lingers we know not what all this wide world means its strange mixture of good and evil but we have been placed here and bid live and hope i know not what we are to hope. But there is some good beyond us that we must seek, and that is our earthly task. If misfortune come against us, we must fight with her, we must cast her aside, and still go on to find out that which it is our nature to desire. Whether this prospect of future good be the preparation for another existence, I know not, or whether that it is merely that we— as workmen in God's vineyard, must lend a hand to smooth the way for our posterity. If it indeed be that, if the efforts of the virtuous now are to make the future inhabitants of this fair world more happy, if the labours of those who cast aside selfishness and try to know the truth of things are to free the men of ages, now far distant, but which will one day come, from the burden under which those who now live groan, and like you weep bitterly. If they free them but from one of what are now the necessary evils of life, truly I will not fail, but will with my whole soul aid the work. From my youth, I have said, I will be virtuous, I will dedicate my life for the good of others, I will do my best to extirpate evil, and if the spirit who protects ill should so influence circumstances that I should suffer through my endeavour. Yet while there is hope, and hope there ever must be, of success, cheerfully do I gird myself to my task. I have powers. My countrymen think well of them. Do you think I sow my seed in a barren air, and have no end in what I do? Believe me, I will never desert life, until this last hope is torn from my bosom, that in some way— my labours may form a link in the chain of gold with which we ought all to strive to drag happiness from where she sits enthroned above the clouds now far beyond our reach to inhabit the earth with us let us suppose that socrates or shakespeare or rousseau had been seized with despair and died in youth when they were as young as i am Do you think that we and all the world should not have lost incalculable improvement in our good feelings and our happiness through their destruction? I am not like one of these. They influenced millions. But if I can influence but a hundred, but ten, but one solitary individual, so as in any way to lead him from ill to good, that will be a joy to repay me for all my sufferings. Though they were a million times multiplied, and that hope will support me to bear them. And those who do not work for posterity, or working, as may be my case, will not be known by it, yet they, believe me, have also their duties. You grieve because you are unhappy, it is happiness you seek, but you despair of obtaining it. But if you can bestow happiness on another, If you can give one other person only one hour of joy ought you not to live to do it? And every one has it in their power to do that. The inhabitants of this world suffer so much pain. In crowded cities, among cultivated plains, or on the desert mountains, pain is thickly sown, and if we can tear up but one of these noxious weeds, or more if in its stead we can sow one seed of corn or plant one fair flower let that be motive sufficient against suicide let us not desert our task while there is the slightest hope that we may in a future day do this indeed i dare not die i have a mother whose support and hope i am i have a friend who loves me as his life and in whose breast i should infix a mortal sting if i ungratefully left him so i will not die nor shall you my friend cheer up cease to weep i entreat you are you not young and fair and good why should you despair or if you must for yourself why for others if you can never be happy can you never bestow happiness oh believe me if you beheld on lips pale with grief one smile of joy and gratitude and knew that you were parent of that smile and that without you it had never been you would feel so pure and warm a happiness that you would wish to live for ever again and again to enjoy the same pleasure come i see that you have already cast aside the sad thoughts that you before frantically indulged look in that mirror when i came your brow was contracted your eyes deep sunk in your head your lips quivering your hands trembled violently when i took them but now all is tranquil and soft you are grieved and there is grief in the expression of your countenance but it is gentle and sweet you allow me to throw away this cursed drink you smile oh congratulate me hope is triumphant and I have done some good." These words are shadowy as I repeat them, but they were indeed words of fire, and produced a warm hope in me, I, miserable wretch, to hope, that tingled like pleasure in my veins. He did not leave me for many hours, not until he had improved the spark that he had kindled, and with an angelic hand fostered the return of something that seemed like joy. He left me, but I still was calm, and after I had saluted the starry sky and dewy earth with eyes of love and a contented good-night, I slept sweetly, visited by dreams, the first of pleasure I had had for many long months. But this was only a momentary relief, and my old habits of feeling returned, for I was doomed, while in life, to grieve and to the natural sorrow of my father's death, and its most terrific cause, imagination added a tenfold weight of woe. I believed myself to be polluted by the unnatural love I had inspired, and that I was a creature cursed and set apart by nature. I thought that, like another cane, I had a mark set on my forehead to show mankind that there was a barrier between me and they. Woodville had told me that there was in my countenance an expression as if I belonged to another world. So he had seen that sign, and there it lay, a gloomy mark, to tell the world that there was that within my soul that no silence could render sufficiently obscure. Why, when fate drove me to become this outcast from human feeling, this monster with whom none might mingle in converse and love, Why had she not from that fatal and most accursed moment shrouded me in thick mists, and placed real darkness between me and my fellows, so that I might never more be seen? And as I passed, like a murky cloud loaded with blight, they might only perceive me by the cold chill I should cast upon them, telling them, how truly, that something unholy was near. Then I should have lived upon this dreary heath unvisited and blasting none by my unhallowed gaze! Alas! I verily believe that if the near prospect of death did not dull and soften my bitter feelings, if for a few months longer I had continued to live, as I then lived, strong in body, but my soul corrupted to its core by a deadly cancer, if day after day I had dwelt on these dreadful sentiments, I should have become mad, and should have fancied myself a living pestilence. So horrible to my own solitary thoughts did this form, this voice, and all this wretched self appear, for had it not been the source of guilt that wants a name. This was superstition. I did not feel thus frantically, when first I knew that the holy name of Father was become a curse to me, but my lonely life inspired me with wild thoughts, and then, when I saw Woodville. And day after day he tried to win my confidence, and I never dared give words to my dark tale. I was impressed more strongly with the withering fear that I was, in truth, a marked creature, a pariah, only fit for death. End of chapter 11